Genre. podcast where we review and discuss every episode of Doctor Who, one doctor at a time. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli, and uh, today we are joined by a guest, <gasps> Jeff Blossom. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. It's an honor. Of course. And today on the show, we'll be discussing The Mind of Evil Part 1, uh, the third Doctor's sixth story. Yes. Uh, so The Mind of Evil is uh, written by uh, Don Houghton and directed by Timothy Combe. Uh, Don Houghton, of course, uh, most we, we, we just sort of sang his praises uh, a couple of uh, episodes ago uh, when we talked about Inferno, which is uh, a great story that he also wrote. So they invited him back to write another one, uh, his story, the second serial that he was writing was going to be called the Pandora machine. And, uh, he was actually inspired by having seen a clockwork orange and, uh, decided that that could be, that could be a good doctor who story, a clockwork orange. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so, uh, so yeah, he just wanted to do a, a story about a machine that alters criminal minds um, in the means, but not that of, criminal uh, minds. Yeah, in the means of re- <laughs> rehabilitating them. Uh, no, no, uh, friend of the show Zach Luna did that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so um, the other bit of this, he realized he wanted to do this, but it wasn't enough to flesh out six episodes. Uh, so, based on the suggestion of his wife, uh, he, who is a, an Asian actress, um, was. Uh, Basically, he added a subplot that involved intrigue at an international peace conference and uh, and then was asked by uh, Barry Letts and Terrence Dix to add the master to the storyline because he was sort of the theme of this season. And uh, so he added all of that stuff in and uh, created this storyline. Um, and I mean, really that's kind of the whole thing. I mean, there's not really a lot of like drama or like fun stuff in this one, other than the fact that, (laughs) other than the fact that, um, Don Houghton, uh, so they, (laughs) they renamed the, to the name of the episode, the mind of evil and Houghton hated it so much that he never came back to Dr. Who. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) He just hated the title so much. Um, he thought it was uh, cheesy and bad, and was just like, you know That's what, great. I'm good. I mean, <laughs> you know what? He's not wrong. Wow. But <laughs> you got to stick yeah. to your principles. But you know, it's not like it's it's out of nowhere. It's pretty thematically relevant to the story. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, uh, anyway, it, it, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So so he left and uh, took a job uh, writing and producing uh, Hammer horror films, including. Uh, the Satanic Rites of Dracula, 
And then uh, he would go on to write episodes for Sapphire and Steel and created a Scottish soap opera called Take the High Road. So that's Great. what he had going on after this. Uh, yeah, it's a bummer because Gosh, honestly, yeah. the, the Mind of Evil and Inferno are, are arguably two of the best classic Who stories, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and he never wrote another one. And that's kind of a bummer. But uh, he wrote two great ones. So, you know, thanks, man. <laughs> I guess. Uh, sorry they, they butchered your title. Um, in your yeah, man. <laughs> it happens sometimes. You can't let it ruin the alter the course of your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> but it worked, yeah, well. but it worked out. Yeah. I, I mean, it makes me want to kind of watch some of his Hammer Horror films to see what those are like. Uh, I was gonna say um, like that that can I can see those like I can see the connective tissue. I haven't seen those particular Hammer Horror movies, but I I've been around, I've lived, I've seen a couple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff, do you like do you like uh, Don Houghton stories? Oh yeah, I think they're both great. They're both uh, you have to be in the right mood. I feel like because both of them are a little bit dark. Uh, you know, in this one, you got all these people dying, getting murdered all over the place. And, uh, you know, the world ends basically in the first one in Inferno. So yeah. Uh, but they're great. They're so well put together. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's get into, uh, talking about this one, uh, the mind of evil. Uh, I guess let's start with, um, sort of overall impressions of the story, uh, as we sort of start breaking down what happens in each individual episode, um, Cass, what is, uh, what are your overall thoughts on the mind of evil? Um, I think it's paced kind of strangely. I noticed this, uh, rewatching it for this. Um, I actually think I like it better in black and white than I do in color because it just lends, it's like the black and white ones to the intrigue a little more, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like the old timey quality of it. Uh, I really, really appreciate that they, there's no yellow face in this one. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. That is nice. <laughs> it's really uh, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you? the, oh. the lead actress is his wife, which is cool, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have um. an idea. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about, what about you, Nick? What did you think of this? Yeah, you know, gosh, as soon as Cass, I, I actually had forgotten that there was a black and white version, and I remember us talking about that, and then I, I, I saw this in color, and I immediately was like, wow, I bet I would actually enjoy this a lot more in black and white, too. I mean, I, I'm not that, I, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. I think it is just just full of so much of what I have grown to love about this era of the show, uh, mm-hmm. be it like this doctor and the brigadier and just the the, the 70s of it all and like the the action figure kind of stuff and you know and and, and yeah it, it it is weirdly paced it's kind of stop and start and uh but yeah no i i had a lot of fun with this one what about you jeff what are your thoughts on the mind of evil uh well i mean definitely commenting on the black and white i didn't see the color version until maybe like a year ago mm-hmm. uh i had seen the black and white version several times and i thought i preferred it like that but then you don't get to see you know, Pertwee's like awesome. Uh, oh like my gosh, maroon, that's very you know true. shirt or <laughs> uh, jacket and the was... uh, that yeah, like that purple stole or whatever mm-hmm. that he's wearing is, which is I mean it's it's kind of in stark contrast to the uh, I don't know monotone of the prison. Um, but yeah, I mean overall, I, it's just a really awesome 
proper unit story. It's one of the first ones that I feel like you actually feel like they're that Joe and the doctor are part of an organization instead of just, oh, they're sort of independently, you know, working at something and here's the brig or here's Captain Yates or something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got uh, these other named characters that go on in, you know, uh, fan fiction and other prose work, you know, that uh, that show up uh, like Major Cosworth or Cogsworth or something like mm -hmm. that and Corporal Bell and all this, this like big team. Uh, so I don't know. I really like that. Uh, and of course, I don't know. I think the brig is probably as at his best uh, here. It's oh, before yeah. I feel like he becomes kind of a caricature maybe a little bit later on in in the uh, in the show but right here uh he and the doctor that that relationship is I don't know amazing in this I think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure yeah uh yeah I I uh I had only ever seen uh the black and white one um until watching it for this and mm -hmm. uh I'll be honest I watched the first episode in color and it was like I'm going back to black and white because, <laughs> because I, you know, it, it's, I mean, you're right. He has a great outfit and, and the colors and stuff are, are, are great, but man, this story just works so much better in, uh, in the black and white because it just, I don't know. It, it weirdly, um, for some reason, the black and white sort of tones down the camp of this story. And yes. and amps up yes. all of the intrigue and and it the just, noir the grit right yeah. yeah and it just it's it's great in black and white uh it it really really is so if you have the option of watching this one way or the other I I would tell you uh give it a shot in black and white because I think you'll be glad that you did uh yeah this is a great story and uh, it is definitely um in my top three Pertwee stories I think. For me, oh, yeah. uh, I really, really like this one a lot. And I think it's, it's so like it, it just the most James Bond. I mean, you know, everyone, everyone talks about Pertwee's doctor being like the James Bond doctor, action doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And I, I think this is the story uh, where, you know, it's like this and um, is a day of the Dalek where he <laughs> flips over the guy while, hold, while holding a whiskey. Uh, that's, yes. that's, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Day of the Doctor. I think he flips a ninja um, or something like that while while holding his whiskey and never dropping it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, the climax of this and is, is I think it's a wine, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, is it is it wine or is it brandy? The mix of the two. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's both. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, this is this is just, just put it there. in my cup. <laughs> it's whatever it is <laughs> it's just it's up there with my favorite Pertwee stories and i think it's very indicative of this era like if i were to give um if somebody were to like ask like what's what's the the Pertwee the one Pertwee story i should watch i would probably give them this one like it just sort of has everything i love about this era it's like like jeff was saying it's got a lot of great unit stuff uh, i think it's got some of the best roger delgado master stuff and certainly mm. some of the best oh, yeah uh, relationship stuff between the doctor and the master. Uh, yes. It's just their chemistry is on full display in this episode or in this, in this story. And it's, uh, it's great. So um, um, that's attention. the mind of evil. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Uh, so. We'll <laughs> <laughs> the mind of evil part one written by Don Houghton directed by Timothy Combe produced by Barry Letts. Script edited by Terrence Dix. Air date, 
January 30th, 1971. The third doctor and Joe arrive at Stangmore Prison to see a demonstration of the Keller machine, which is supposed to cure antisocial behavior by extracting evil impulses from the mind. Professor Kettering, acting on behalf of the inventor Keller, says the machine has resulted in over a hundred successful tests with other prisoners, but the machine overloads and the test subject, a criminal named Barnum, is knocked out. Meanwhile, Unit is busy overseeing the security at the first ever World Peace Conference, but things aren't going according to plan. The Brigadier is confronted by Captain Chin Li, who says that classified documents have been stolen from the Chinese delegation. Later, there is more worrying news. The Chinese delegate is dead. Elsewhere, Captain Mike Yates is assigned to lead a small unit task force in disposing of an outlawed nerve gas missile. At the prison, a medical student who was present during the Keller machine demonstration is found dead near the machine, covered in bites and scratches, his face frozen in terror. It is revealed that he was incredibly afraid of rats. Later on, Professor Kettering is examining the machine when it activates on its own. He has a vision of water and dies of a heart attack. The prison medic, Dr. Summers, investigates the death and is shocked when it appears that Professor Kettering died of drowning in a completely dry room. The doctor is worried that the machine has power over people's minds and is growing more powerful as its activity seems to coincide with violent outbursts from the other prisoners. While examining the machine, it activates again, and the doctor is frozen in fear as the room seems to erupt in flames. So, uh, in in uh, the first episode, um, I you know right off the bat, I just love the doctor playing with the security camera like a child in an, el- an electronics store. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I just I I love. Um, I mean, I don't think it. I don't think it really started until like every once in a while the second doctor would do sort of childish things, and then and then the third doctor does it a little bit more, and then obviously the fourth like just goes into like full on like man child uh, stuff <laughs> occasionally, where it's like um, not fun anymore by the end. Yeah, well, well, especially er- early on, and then later it just becomes like you can't tell if he's like acting like a child or if he's just drunk. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but but I I do like that sort of um, I don't know that playfulness of uh, look a security camera like dude you had a time machine that you traveled all the way through the galaxy and you're like being entertained by like waving at his security camera. <laughs> See, I took that. I took that when he showed when he pulls up. I take that as he is not having anything to do with this prison. Like when he shows up in the. Uh, uh, first in the Keller machine, you know, when they're mm-hmm. displaying mm-hmm. it for the first time and he's just talking over everybody. Mm-hmm. I think that's to show how much cooler he is than your pitiful uh, security camera technology <laughs> and all of this other stuff. Oh. I, I, I think that he's so over it, if that makes sense. And I took that as he was sort of making fun of them oh. uh, by waving at them like, yes, I know you see me. Why don't you guys come out here? Yeah, I, mean, I guess the it only, depends the only on... Reason- yeah, the only reason that I would uh, I would disagree with that is just because like the security guy like catches him doing it and he looks slightly embarrassed about it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. But um, so I I don't know is this just what uh, is this just what British prisons look like? Because every time we would get the sort of wide shot of the prison set um, or wherever they shot this. Uh, I just got like mad Paddington two vibes. Um, 
from, so from the set. So Mad Paddington was his, the, his, his prison name, actually. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> I, I like that as a prison name. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so they, they actually shot the exteriors of this and like the whole, I don't know, uh, siege sequence and everything like that at Dover Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what's his name? Barry Letts wanted to shoot this in a prison and he thought they were going to be able to. And then it was a couple weeks till filming and everything was falling through. And so uh, they ended up shooting it at uh, Dover Castle. Um, so I don't know how accurate it is. And then they wrote in the script that, oh, it's in an old fortress type of thing. Um, and then the interior, though, uh, was at BBC uh, TV Center, mm-hmm. and they actually built like three or four sets based loosely around actual prison uh, images oh, and okay. things like that. So, like the layout so, is probably a basic layout for like what British prisons look like. And I mean, yeah, possibly. I, I would say more loosely, like oh, they might have like a narrow stairway that goes down to a special um cell mm. like where the you know um barnum is at the beginning and and uh mailer is and joe and the doctor keep getting locked up down there right 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 uh i mean as opposed to layout wise i'm not sure that makes any sense uh well it, <laughs> it looks like the layout the story. of the story in paddington too um oh okay oh okay well there you yeah. go <laughs> and and in uh like mad there's pad, a point there's a point where pad. they're um you know they're walking up and down those stairs in the thing and i'm just imagining uh hugh grant like singing his like musical number in the closing credits of paddington too um on oh, those man. stairs I, uh, what if Mind of Evil was a musical? I, I have be? not seen paddington too and the fact that there's a prison in a, ch- a children's movie at all. Yeah, Paddington gets locked up. <laughs> oh my uh, god. Yeah, he gets framed for the for the crimes of Hugh Grant. Uh, <laughs> he's making the neighborhood the worse of Hugh Grant. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. no place for bears in London. Right. He oh has my to god. he has to teach uh he has to teach Mad Eye Moody the the prison chef uh how to make marmalade so that oh uh my. everyone can it sounds like a dream properly. It's a great movie, you guys. Um, still one of my favorites of the year. Uh, You're in for a treat, Cass. Yeah. You finally sit down and watch it. Oh, You're it's magnificent. It. And not in like Damn. an ironic way. Like it'll literally melt your heart and you'll just be like, I feel so good. Uh, it's it's fantastic. Uh, it'll make you will, like 3% this, a better person. Yes, 100%. <laughs> this, this, this will not be the only time that I bring up Paddington 2. Uh, there's something else that happens that is also very uh, much from a Paddington 2 situation. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, yeah, so they, they, this, this, uh, this machine, the Keller machine that uh, removes the evil impulses from, uh, from, from people's minds um, – and uh, they hook this guy, Barnum, up to it, who just seems like a mad, like, psycho killer. And uh, they, they hook him up to it, and uh, he passes out. Um, but when he comes back later on, he's, like, got the mind of a child, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, what I love, too, is, like, I just get the feeling that this actor who plays Barnum probably got typecast a lot as, like, the big, scary, bad dude. And then... They were like, hey, we want you to play a big, scary, bad dude for like 30 seconds. And then the rest of the movie or the rest of the show, we just want you to be like this really like great, good soul, almost like Frankenstein. Uh, and <laughs> he was like, oh, yeah, OK. Like he just because he because he just has that look about him where he's just like, oh, yeah, no, that's a scary dude. Uh, but he's so like childlike and, and happy throughout this whole story that uh, 
I don't know. I, I think I imagine being that guy and being really excited about playing this part because it would be so different from what you probably normally get stuck with. Mm. Mm-hmm. That that happens. And um, the guy that's in charge of it, um, Keller, Professor Keller, uh, doesn't show up. And uh, that's fishy. Right. Um, <laughs> this other guy shows up to uh, to show it off instead. Uh, this guy named Professor Kettering. And uh, he gets real mad at the doctor because the doctor gets real mad at him and uh, about this machine and about how bad of an idea it is. Uh, but I, I always like, I think more than just about any other doctor, it's like it's kind of a tie between John Pertwee and, um, and uh, Peter Capaldi as far as like which doctor I like more getting up in somebody's face about something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just, I just really like that. And like getting in that argument about like, you know, Kettering is just like, well, if you were a scientist and he's like, I've been a scientist for a thousand and just walks (laughs) away. Just walks out. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Um, That's, that's, it's interesting. That's a little, uh, slip there. Cause that one, and I think maybe in the Silurians, he talks about being more than a thousand years old. Uh, before they retcon it, right, and he becomes like four hundred or something mm-hmm. uh, or five hundred uh, when Tom Baker is the doctor. It's like when you're like in your mid twenties and you're like, "Ugh, I'm so old." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's and then that's that's what it was retcon to. Uh, like it was retcon during um, Moffat's era as just being like, "Yeah, the doctor lies about his age. We don't know." Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's rule number. It's rule number one. Right. Yeah. That. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> oh, he liked to write. <laughs> <laughs> he sure did. Uh, yeah. So, um, so the doctor doesn't trust this machine, and he doesn't trust Professor Kettering. And uh, we meet uh, Captain Chin Lee, who uh, is uh, sort of a, a Chinese delegate person, and uh, she's mad because paperwork has gone missing. <laughs> and uh, and the brigadier is just like, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Sorry. And so she leaves in a huff. And then we see her pull out the documents and burn them because she's actually under some sort of uh, control based on like this thing that's on her neck that we don't know what it is yet. Um, but uh, she. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this is what Cass was talking about. No yellow face. Good mm-hmm. on you guys casting people. Doctor Who offices in the 70s? Good work. You cleared that low bar. Yeah. And they will <laughs> trip on it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the uh, special features for I, uh, one of the DVDs, uh, Barry Letts talks about how he didn't like to... He said it was very standard of the BBC to have only like white British actors play all ethnicities um, all the time. And he said he didn't like that, but that was the standard. And so what he would typically do would ask, uh, they would ask around like, oh, do you know anybody of this uh, ethnicity who could play whatever part? Um, And, but usually he didn't expect an answer uh, or like, oh yeah, so-and-so. But apparently when he asked this time, the uh, the guy, one of the guys was like, oh yeah, Don's wife is actually uh, Chinese and she's an actor. And he's like, oh, well that's convenient. And they brought her in and, she got the part. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh that is good. Um so this uh this this machine is now sort of uh it has escalated to what it does. So it's not 
It doesn't specifically now just pull the evil out of people's brains. Uh, it's also like making them see their greatest fears because like this one college student uh, dies of, of uh, a heart attack. And but he's got like claw marks all over his face, almost like he was attacked by rats. And then somewhere in his medical file, they find out that he had a fear of rats because that's a normal thing to be in a medical file for some reason. <laughs> for like a it's med like a student at this time, too. Like that's the wrong profession for you, my dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, apparently uh, his his uh, his professor or something at his at his university was, uh, I don't know, Dr. Dr. Uh, Dr. Crane, uh, the scarecrow. Um <laughs> really the only explanation i don't know it's kind of a it's honestly this is kind of in this first and second part like this machine feels like something that uh the scarecrow came up with um Mm. but uh i don't know yeah so anyway so he gets he he dies and then uh professor kettering has to like investigate this machine and figure out what's wrong with it and then it uh it attacks him and he has a fear of drowning uh, and then he dies of of what seems to be drowning, and uh, the doctor's like, "This is real weird." So then he looks into it, and then he sees a bunch of fire, and that's our cliffhanger for the first one. Um, I will I will say, as far as the pacing goes, I'm glad they got rid of the naysaying scientist person like in the first episode. Oh, very good yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. Um, un- unlike uh, the commandant in. Uh, <laughs> the faceless ones who was there like the right. whole oh, story <laughs> or like yeah. like the inferno like that oh, guy's right. around the whole For time sure. <laughs> just like arms crossed yeah. yeah now i'm turning into a werewolf <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> the mind of evil part two written by don houghton directed by timothy comb produced by barry letts script edited by terrence Dix. Air date, February 6th, 1971. Joe enters the room and breaks the hold the machine had over the doctor. Joe tells the doctor about Kettering's cause of death, and he tells Joe about the fire he saw while under the machine's thrall. He says that he once saw a planet burn, and the machine used that memory to attack him. Yates enters with orders to bring the doctor back to Unit HQ. He refuses until Yates tells the doctor about the peace conference and the death of the Chinese delegate. He leaves Joe in charge of things at the prison and tells her to make sure no one enters the room with the Keller machine. Captain Chin Lee is being watched by Sergeant Benton, but she uses some sort of mind control to cause Benton to faint and disappears. As he goes back to report to the brigadier, an electrician outside Unit HQ is working on the phone lines. He is revealed to be the master, and he listens in on a conversation about the missile disposal. Joe checks in on the status of the prisoner, Barnum, who was rendered unconscious by the machine. He is alert, but he has no memory of who he is and his past deeds. Dr. Summers supposes that the machine has removed all negative impulses from Barnum's mind, making him almost childlike. The doctor and the brigadier visit with the replacement Chinese delegate, and they have tea. Everything seems to be in order, but the brigadier orders a general alert for the Chinese captain. Chin Li meets up with the master, who says he has another task for her. She tries to resist, but he hypnotizes her. Her task is to kill the American delegate. At the prison, one of the inmates escapes his holding cell and starts a mutiny. The inmate, Mailer, says they need more hostages, and they take Joe and Dr. Summers prisoner. 
The brigadier is alerted that Chin Li has returned to the hotel and rushes off. At the hotel, she calls the American delegate and says that the Chinese delegation wishes to speak to him. He complies and enters the room. Chin Li closes the door behind him and switches off the lights as a dragon suddenly appears to attack him. So, uh, so episode two, the doctor is, uh, saved by Joe and, uh, he snaps out of it and he, he reveals that like he once watched a whole planet burn and that's why he's scared of fire now. Yeah, Weird. Inferno. So that's okay. That's a direct reference to Inferno. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sure. which, yeah, I mean, just watching all those people die. Would that give him a fear of fire though? I know. I. Uh, I think I, he'd be afraid of lava or volcanoes or yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think that he was. It was supposed to be. I think that we were supposed to. Imp, it, we were supposed to imply that, or it was supposed to be implied that he was inf- afraid of the of everything burning and the end of the world and the you know trick that just, they had. Just the that concept that they had was just fire, yeah. uh, and that was it. I don't know that it particularly reads that way, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Yeah. I'm right. I'm really sad for continuity's sake that his greatest fear is not giant spiders. Uh, <laughs> oh man, that would have been great. That is a that is like a a long game, and I'm just like, man, I wish. Okay, well, that's fine. Nick will find out in like <laughs> what five years or something. Just imagine, just imagine <laughs> there was a spider in the fire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whoa. It's on fire and it has eight legs. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> It's a fight. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so Yates shows up and uh, is like, "We gotta, we, I gotta take you to go see the brigadier because he wants to talk to you." And uh, I'm your, and he, the doctor is like, "I'm kind of busy," and he's like, "Well, I'll take you by force." And then the doctor <laughs> just like throws some Nujian karate on him, and I'm just like, "Dude, this is your bro, yeah. man! Like, what are you yeah. doing? Like, he he loves no karate more than Yates, like." Benton yeah. is I mean, his we, favorite. We, we talked last time about how much Yates kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> despite, you know, supposedly being a companion. Uh, or at least that was his intention. His in, he was an intended companion. I count um, Yates as a companion, but Benton is way better than Yates. Yeah, agreed. Benton's the best. Man, hearing you guys talk about this really makes me think that... Um, I don't know. In, in in some iteration of this show, like like a, in a future iteration of the show, a return to something like the doctor working for a, an organization could be really fun in like a modern context. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, sure. Um, so this. Uh, so that speaking of Benton, um, we get. <laughs> This great scene where Benton uh, Lee Lee is like Benton is watching Lee and Lee makes a phone call, uh, Captain Lee, and uh, she makes a phone call or pretends to make a phone call, but then uh, she uses her mind control stuff uh, <laughs> to make Benton faint. I don't I, I don't understand how I don't understand this because um, I thought the thing on her neck was there to make her obey. I didn't know that it could also allow her to make other people obey or do things. Um, it's, it's supposed to be somehow connected to the, the Keller machine, right? Because that's right. how she changes, you know, later on when the delegate dies. Like, I think that it's, she can, 
she somehow harnessed to the power of the machine through that device and the master is trying to control them both mm. I don't I don't know it's you know technology right. that's that's how it they works reverse the polarity technology and... is the answer yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, the, the master reversed the polarity so that she can control the machine, and then, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Done and done. Um, done. Answer. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> he faints, and it's awesome. Uh, it's it's a real good faint. Uh, Benton's the best. I love Benton. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, he, like, he faints. He faints like no one else. Yeah, well, he's, he's like, in street clothes, because he's just, like, in a trench coat or whatever, and he, he faints, like, over a stairwell, like, just tips over the edge and like this guy is like what are you doing like are you okay and and he's like yeah well where did she go and, then just like, and he just runs away just, i do love that I love, then he just runs away oh god i love it benton's the best uh, i love him um so the, my other paddington 2 reference uh we meet an electrician jeez oh, we meet an electrician who is uh who is uh working on stuff nearby and uh, he goes into a random tent. I don't know why that tent is there. We never <laughs> see it again, but there's a random tent and he goes inside of it and he takes off his electrician uh, disguise and we see that it's the master, just like Hugh Grant in Paddington 2, a master of disguise. Whoa, whoa, connections. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that they watched the screenwriters of Paddington 2 watch The Mind of Evil for inspiration? I, I, think, I, I, think, honestly, Paul, I think Paul Paul King is probably a huge Who fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I bet. I bet he did. I bet he did. And he was like, okay. oh, we should do stuff like – this would be fun. Let's do something like this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I was just like, oh, my God. He's master disguise and there's a prison like – this is just Paddington 2. Um, <laughs> anyway, God, I wish, I wish in Paddington 2 there was a machine that fed on the evil in Men's <laughs> I guess, what do I you guess, fear in, most well, I guess in some ways, I guess in some ways Paddington 2 itself, uh, feeds on the evil of Men's Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> that's deep, man. Yeah. Wow. Media analysis. Yeah. So, uh, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> so, so anyway. Uh, he leaves his tent. Uh, the master leaves his tent, never to be seen again, and uh, gets in the back of a gets in the back of a car. And honestly, this is my preferred vision of the master. Is just oh, the yes. master in a full suit with a with a with a suitcase in the back of a fancy car with a cigar in his mouth. Mm -hmm. Like, oh man, I was like, yeah, this is this is my this specifically is my master. Like this. <laughs> This specific <laughs> thing. Like a Dick Tracy mob boss. Oh, yeah. it's the best. <laughs> Roger Delgado hated cigars, and he did not want to use one at all, and the director convinced him to, and then when he saw like some sort of playback or like the rushes or whatever a few days later, he's like, you're right, the master definitely needs a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. It's the one um, thing Missy needed. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Okay. Well. <laughs> Didn't mean that. <laughs> Damn it, Nick. <laughs> so, uh, so, so anyway, um, let's see. Another great moment in this. Uh, the brigadier takes the doctor to go meet the, with the Chinese delegate. Uh, and uh, and uh, the doctor speaks Mandarin. And the Chinese delegate is like really impressed. 
And it's like, let's go get some tea. And then they just leave the brigadier. <laughs> Uh, which is uh, which is pretty great, and I and I just I also I just love that this show embraces the fact that like you know the type of person the type of man that the brigadier is is that like he he would refuse to learn Mandarin you know like that's mm-hmm. the kind of person that he is like that's the kind of person who becomes like a like a like a career uh, career military person um, especially in the seventies and uh, I just. I love that they, I don't know, like they're not afraid to poke some fun at him for being mm-hmm. that way, mm-hmm. um, being that sort of close-minded uh, thing. So I, I just, I really like that. Um, this is where we get the bit to where, um, where the doctor, uh, not that doctor, a doctor, uh, I forget. His, <laughs> I don't have his. Dr. Summers. Yeah, Dr. Summers. Thank you. Yeah, Dr. Yeah, Dr. Summers, yeah. Summers mentions that, uh, that Barnum is somewhere between an idiot and a saint. <laughs> uh, because he has no evil inside of him and uh he's like he's an he's an angel but also a moron uh, <laughs> which is that's why he's like he's just sort of like uh he's just sort of like this tragic you know frankenstein's monster kind of guy like mm-hmm. just oh man he's so innocent now for like the rest of the story and it's great <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, so, um, yeah, so this, uh, there's this other guy in the prison, um, it's, uh, Mailer, and he's sort of like the big guy at the prison and is, uh, trying to plan an escape, and he is working with this, uh, this other guy who's, like, cleaning the cells, and he goes in and he cleans his cell and leaves a gun in his bed, uh, so that he can take over the place, and then, um, this sort of, like, leads to... What is sort of, um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of plot lines, a lot of stories in this. Uh, it's weird, though, because, like, while there are a lot of plot lines, they all really connect pretty well together. Mm-hmm. Um, except maybe the the Chinese delegates stuff. Um, yeah. I don't really know. Ultimately, I'm not entirely sure why that's there. Like, I know that it's set up for the, for the peace conference thing. Um, but that's kind of all it does, right, is set up the peace conference. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 So it's that that's that's the only bit that I think you could you could probably um trim some of that or at least fold it in a little bit better into the plot. But uh but yeah, we get this uh, big prison riot thing happening. Yeah. Um, which all the prisoners at this prison are all insane. Like you just walk down the halls and they're all like screaming bloody murder all the time. Um, that's the effect of the machine. That's the machine that's doing that to them. Oh. <laughs> It's uh I think that's I think that's imp- I mean seriously though I think they try yeah. they try to imply that anytime the machine is like getting hungry getting like ready to feed or about to do something that it somehow affects the psyche of all the prisoners and they start like screaming and getting hooping and hollering and oh, everything like that. Okay, I thought it was try just to be atmospheric a little bit. I mean that too, but <laughs> Yeah, well yeah. <laughs> that's why it's but, a madhouse. Oh, I see. Um so uh so yeah there's a there's an American delegate also uh, in town <laughs> and uh the master with his cigar in his mouth uh tells the Chinese uh captain um captain Lee to uh kill the American delegate and so she goes and she pays him a visit and uh basically turns into a strobe light dragon 
Yes. And that's our <laughs> that's our cliffhanger. Though before that, I guess uh, Joe and uh, Doctor Summers become hostages in the prison riot. But um, but yeah, <laughs> it's not as she important a, as the strobe light mo- dragon. <laughs> yeah, more more importantly is the strobe light dragon. For I sure. love <laughs> because <laughs> I mean we get the resolution of that and why it's a dragon in the next episode, but. Rewatching this, I was just like, ah, yes, every American senator's greatest fear is just a dragon. Is a dragon, right? <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. <laughs> this guy's really are... afraid of dragons. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> they are real. Oh, my greatest fear. The Chinese are dragons. I knew it. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Oh, my gosh. I kind of wondered if it was going to set that up, but I didn't think it was that progressive. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Barry Lett said, uh, oh, sorry. I was just going to say he saw the... Uh, when he saw he saw the dragon like two days before filming and it was too late to do anything about it. So he was like, make sure you just get like a lot of close ups of the face. Uh, and that's why there's not <laughs> that's the way it's shot. Why it's shot the way it is. <laughs> He's like, I learned to check things out before, like two days before filming from this episode. That's funny. Yeah. The Mind of Evil Part 3, written by Don Houghton, directed by Timothy Combe, produced by Barry Letts, script edited by Terrence Dix, air date February 13th, 1971. Chin Lee is interrupted by the Brigadier and the Doctor, who also see the dragon. The Brigadier fires his gun, and the dragon disappears. Chin Lee faints, and the American delegate is also unconscious. The Chinese delegate finds an amplification device behind Chin Li's ear, and the doctor believes it is linked to the Keller machine. The unrest at the prison continues as Mailer tries to bargain for safe escape with the use of his two hostages. Chin Li wakes up and the doctor interrogates her. He believes a larger threat is pulling her strings, and he brings her to the brigadier. Yates calls and informs the brigadier that there has been a delay with the missile. The brigadier tells him what has been going on with the Chinese delegation. The master overhears everything and heads to Stangmore Prison. Lee tells the brigadier of her past association with Keller. She says she has been in the processing room but can't picture it. The doctor realizes that she is suffering from post-hypnotic block and suggests that the master has been posing as Keller this entire time. Joe manages to escape and disarm her guard, and order is restored for the moment. The master arrives and introduces himself as Keller. The governor explains the troubles they have been experiencing with the machine and how Unit has been involved. The master asks to see Mailer and they form an alliance to get the prison into the hands of the prisoners again. They use smoke grenades to escape Mailer's cell and soon take over. The doctor arrives at the prison and the master, who is now in charge, allows him in. The doctor is taken at gunpoint to the master because the master needs the doctor's help. The Keller machine has taken on a mind of its own, and he wants the doctor to sort it out while he is elsewhere. He intends on stealing the missile unit is in the process of moving. The master tells the doctor that he intends on launching the missile, destroying the peace conference, and starting World War III. The doctor escapes, and he eventually runs into the processing room, where he is met yet again by the master. The master says he has repaired the machine and wants to see how long the doctor can hold out against it. He turns the machine on and leaves, and as the doctor struggles against his bombs, a Dalek looms towards him. So, okay, so episode three, uh, the doctor and the brigadier, having found out about the the American delegate, they show up and interrupt the uh, hallucination. 
Uh, and uh, Captain Lee basically just turns back into a person and then like passes <laughs> out. Uh, uh, and, and what yeah, would that and autopsy so, like, the, have been like? I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> the, the, but the thing on her, the thing on her neck, that it's a part of the machine, and so like the the machine was was causing her to turn into a dragon or like <laughs> seem to be a dragon. Um, I forget exactly how they explain this or why it's a dragon. What's the deal? Yeah. That with the yeah, image of a dragon a... becomes a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> they say it's like a collective hallucination, but like, how would you sync that up with everyone in the room, like? Oh, I'm a dragon now? I don't know. It's Yeah. I don't know. Doctor Who. I think I think much I think much like Batman himself, I think that Captain Lee became what she feared the most. <laughs> yes. Um, I th- I mean, I think that is true. <laughs> <laughs> which is a dragon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the British are uh, are a cowardly lot. What does Batman say? He said <laughs> The British are a cowardly lot. <laughs> well, he says he says criminals. Criminals are uh, uh. criminals are a something and cowardly lot. Um, anyway, that's why he becomes Batman. So criminals uh, are a cowardly lot. <laughs> I mean, this was like in his first issue. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, so <laughs> so. <laughs> They interrupt the the hallucination and and she turns back into a person. Um, they figure out the link between the amplifier on her neck and the Keller machine. Uh, the prison riot is continuing, and we find out that the master is uh, actually Keller. Um, dun dun dun. Yeah, he invented the machine, uh, and the uh, so the master goes to the prison. He wants to get a piece of this prison riot. Um, and uh, he shows up and he helps uh, he helps Mailer basically make the best out of this and sort of take control of the whole prison. And it's and it, the reason is that he wants to he wants to use like the prison guys to like get this missile that unit is uh, moving so that he can blow up the peace conference and cause World War Three. Uh, because uh, the master is just an agent of chaos. <laughs> That's all he wants. He wants to watch the world burn. Yeah. No, he does. He does. Because it reminds him of the doctor. <laughs> I heard you like fire, <laughs> dummy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, we find out that the governor isn't negotiating with the with the inmates. He's just like, let's wait this out. Let's, <laughs> let's see what happens. Which is uh all right, man, sure <laughs> um, and so then uh the master wants to test the machine out on the doctor, and the doctor sees a Dalek, and uh that's the end of this, and you know, um the Dalek thing i uh <laughs> I just realized like how you know out of context like this this um this cliffhanger is just like, oh yo okay, he's Seeing a Dalek. Oh, how, uh, how, how, okay. That's the thing that he's, uh, scared of, I guess. All right, cool. Um, but like at the time, like this Dalek was like the first time we'd seen a Dalek in oh, four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, end of season, end of season five, right? Or four? Right. 
Right. So, I mean, yeah. it'd be a, so, it'd been yeah. a while. Four years. Um, yeah. And, uh, and Pertwee certainly hadn't been with a Dalek yet. And so this kind of, I, I look back now at this, I, I, I'm looking at this, uh, this cliffhanger and I'm just like, you guys are uh, kind of trolling your fans a little bit, weren't you? <laughs> You're just like, look, it's a Dalek. Oh, no, it's not. Like, Remember these? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's a in, in that sequence isn't there also like a there's like a cyberman and a war machine and a zarbi that's later and an ice that's, warrior that, i think that's oh, another that's later. one okay i think yeah. that's another yeah. one okay this yeah one's just okay sorry daleks. yeah okay yeah this one's just, just daleks. daleks okay yeah. straight daleks dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> the worst kind <laughs> anyway um so yeah that's uh that's that's uh episode three of the mind of evil and that's the first half of our coverage of The Mind of Evil. Um, we'll and be the best is yet to come. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we'll be back with uh, more of The Mind of Evil, parts four through six in our next episode. Uh, Jeff will, will be back uh, to talk more about this story and Doctor Who in general. So stay tuned for that. And uh, in the meantime, if you're on Facebook, join our Facebook group, the Doctor's Companion Listener Society, and uh, all that good stuff. Uh, follow us on Twitter. You know, you you guys know the drill. You know the drill. So uh, we will be back with uh, the Mind of Evil parts four through six. Bye, everybody. Yay!